Hey, Voice Church. Happy May 16th. Uh, this morning was a little interesting at church because uh, it was raining. And so we got there early, started to set up. And then the rain actually kind of fizzled out. It was sunny. It was even hot at times when we were setting up. And then the minute church started, it started to drizzle. So we put tents out and started to drizzle harder. And then it came out and it kind of went to an all-out rain. And so we had church in the rain, which, you know, actually was kind of interesting because it was a, a fun memory. And I think church was great. Uh, worship was great. You know, the teaching was me, so it was okay. Uh, but it was just a great time together as a church family. New people came uh, that were just walking by. One person was getting an oil change at a, a local spot. So they were playing in the park with their kids and they ended up coming by church and ended up staying. And it was just really a great morning. But the problem was, we had a bunch of technical difficulties because of the rain and the interference. So the microphones were having some issues, uh, but then the big issue was our internet went down. Uh, so uh, we thought that we would instead go ahead and just re-record the teaching here. Now, I'm in my living room on my laptop, and so I apologize for any noises you may hear. The ice cream truck uh, just went by and was a little noisy, so you may hear that come by again in a little bit because that's kind of the way our neighborhood works. Uh, but as we get started here, I wanted to give you an update on the building search. I know uh, we told you that we're going to give you regular updates, and here's our current update. We have until the first week of July to be at Pepper Tree Park. The city of Tustin has graciously allowed us to meet there, uh, but we are unsure of what the next steps are still. We have spent the majority of this past week again in negotiations for the building, uh, for our next facility rather. We have, a, we have two properties that we are in negotiations with, uh, but they both have their hurdles. We'll keep you informed as we get there. I just want to say thank you to everyone that has been praying. Um, doors are opening, and I believe it's because we're fighting a spiritual battle and you are praying and God is answering. Uh, also, thank you to everyone that's messaging me uh, options or even just messaging me to say, I know God's going to provide. Uh, we are praying as a family. Thank you for even messaging me You know, uh, links to properties you guys have found and you want us to check out, or you you drove by, or you found this thing online, or you have a friend that does sprinkler systems or whatever for the building, and uh, is there any way that would be helpful? And I just want to say thank you for that. It really makes us feel like this is not something a few of us are working on, but something that us as a church are really believing God for. And also just want to say thank you to everyone who's been giving to the building fund faithfully. The building fund is an option online. When you go to the give page, you have your, your normal general giving, which is the, the big bucket we uh, operate on as a church. And then there is uh, home missions, which is how we bless the community. Um, and then there is global missions, which is being a part of what God is doing around the world. And we do a ton with that. Uh, and then there is the final option of building fund. And building fund for us is in faith, preparing resources so that when God provides an opportunity, uh, we are ready to take action. And so I just want to say thank you for that. The two properties we have uh, in negotiations right now, and who knows, they both may fall through. We have no idea. Uh, we're not far enough along to really kind of give more information. But uh, the reason why one of them is even a potential is because of the funds in the building fund, because you guys have faithfully given over the past few years. So thank you for that. This week as I was reading, 
uh, in my personal devotion time, I, you know, I came across a passage I've read so many times that just hit a little different because of the situation we're in as it relates to the building. And the situation is when uh, God is rescuing Israel from Egypt out of slavery. And so Israel escapes. They go down to the Red Sea. So in front of them is the Red Sea. Behind them, Pharaoh's army is about to get them. And they are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And they don't know what to do. And so in Genesis, uh, in verse 10, it says here in Genesis, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, in verse 11, And they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? But Moses, verse 13, But Moses told the people, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Verse 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And I just want to encourage you as I encourage myself in moments like this. God knows. He didn't launch the church a couple years ago to have us not have a home to meet in now. Now, does a building make a church? No, any more than your house makes your family. But I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to create memories as a family when you have a home. And it's a lot easier for us to create a family as a church when we are in our home. And so I just want to say thank you. Stay calm. Keep praying. Keep believing. The Lord himself will fight for us. We just need to stay calm. Well, hey, today we're going to talk about an ugly word. We're going to talk about an ugly word, and the word is pride. Pride. See, what pride does, pride puts us at the center of our world. Pride puts us at the center of our relationships, at the center of our conversations. What pride says is you are the most important thing in your world. You are the most important thing in your relationships. You are the most important thing in the conversations, right? Humility, humility is the opposite. Humility says, no, 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 we are a part of the world, but we are not the center of the world. We're a part of the world, but we're the center of the world. And listen, humility is not this idea of I'm a loser, I'm a worm, right? We get this sense almost like pride is, you know, I'm amazing, I'm the best thing ever, and humility is I am nothing. That's not true. That's not true. Actually, that's just a form of pride that's fleshed out in insecurity. See, pride is just simply a, a distorted view of you or an inaccurate view of you. So I am the best, that's pride. I am the worst, that's also pride. Because the reality is, you are not as good or as bad as you think you are. You hear me? You are not as good or as bad as you think you are. You are not as good or as bad as other people may say you are. You are not as good or as bad as you think you are. So humility, humility is simply seeing things as they actually are. And there's a few uh, perspectives, a few facets of that. First one is this, God is God and I am not. It's a huge part of humility. God is God and I am not. When we get that mixed up, pride can creep up. God is God and I am not. Secondly, I am broken and I am flawed, just like you. That we're all broken and flawed. So God is way up in the sky, perfect. And then we are flawed. But here's the cool third part. Even though there's that incredible gap between his perfection 
and our imperfection, between his glory and our poverty. The third reality is, somehow God loves me. Somehow God notices me. Somehow God is concerned with me. Somehow God rescued me. And somehow God walks with me. God adopted me as his child. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing with you at the center. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Today, the message is called universe. Universe with Y-O-U, universe. So here's a question as we start. Who is the you at the center of your universe? Who is the you at the center of your universe? Is it you? Is it God? Is it somebody else? Here's some questions you can ask yourself as you think about that. Who does your world revolve around? Who does your energy go towards most? Who does your attention go towards most? Who does your money go to most? Who does your thoughts go towards most? See, what pride says, pride says that it should be you. And you got to realize that there is like this this current (coughs) moving us towards being in the center of our universe it's almost like if you've been to a lazy river, and a lazy river is it has a slow current moving you around as you sit on your little uh, tube getting burned, right? There's a natural current to it. You don't have to do anything. It actually moves you around the lazy river. That's why it's called a lazy river. In the same way, there's a current moving us towards the center of our universe, right? Moving us towards pride. And the reality is we always move in the direction of our most dominant and most consistent thought. All of us move in the direction of our most dominant and consistent thought. So if we're always thinking about us, then we're moving towards the center of our universe and the world is revolving around us in our our hearts. And you may say, Taka, I don't think about me all the time. I think about, you know, my dreams. Okay, whose dreams? Yours. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm talking, I think I'm, I, I'm actually filled with worry about my problems, okay? Whose problems? Yours, right? This is why the Bible says that prayer and meditation and church gatherings and small groups are so important because it actively, it actively moves us. It's us actively rowing against the current to move us out of the center, to actively put God at the center. When we pray, what we're saying is, I can't do what God can do. When we worship, what we're saying is, you are God and I am not. So that's the reality. Number one is that pride says that we should be in the center of our universe. But two, humility says that God is at the center of the universe. And we're just part of this global community around him. But not only that, humility also says, why don't you go first? Humility is pushing others to God. Now, John the Baptist, Jesus said he was uh, the, the, the greatest prophet to ever 
live. And John the Baptist is quoted as saying in John 3.30, he said, he must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less, talking about Jesus. He said, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. This has to be the path of travel. But can I tell you the truth? It's really easy to walk with God and allow pride to grow. It's easy to walk with God and allow pride to grow over the years. And can I be honest with you? This has always bothered me. It's always bothered me. Have you ever wondered, or maybe this has bothered you too, why is it that so many seasoned Christians seem so unteachable, seem so prideful? Why is it that Why is it not uncommon, put it that way, why is it not uncommon to see people who have been living for God, who are leaders in their local church, leaders in their organization, maybe they're the pastor or they're they're an elder or a deacon, they're a leader of a faith-based nonprofit, and they've been walking with God forever and yet they are prideful, yet they have little concern for the marginalized, yet it seems like their world revolves around them. Why is it that our faith leaders, why isn't it normal, why isn't it a given that the longer you walk with Jesus, the more humble you are, the more concerned for the marginalized you are? See, that's always bothered me, and I think... Whereas John the Baptist, his mission was Jesus must become greater, I must become less. I think somehow that's, that can get twisted in our hearts as we can somehow drift to being modern day Pharisees to where we start to say God has to become greater and others have to become less. Instead of Jesus must become greater, I must become less, it becomes Jesus must become greater and others must become less. And can I tell you, maybe you find yourself there. Maybe you're like Taka. I, that's me, man. Like I hear about refugees. I hear about immigrants. I hear about the plight of racial minorities. And I, I, I don't care. I know I should, but I don't. Can I tell you? That's the first step is to be honest. Because I think there's some Pharisees, you know, you got guys like Nicodemus that got to a place where I think I missed it. I need to chase Jesus. I need to find out. I need to connect my heart with God again because somewhere along the way, I missed it. So maybe you find yourself there and you don't want to be. Can I challenge you? There's a way out. And maybe you are in another camp. Maybe you've seen others with a prideful, arrogant, uh, you know, unteachable, unconcerned spirit. And you're sitting there going, yeah, Taka, that's right. Talk about it. And you're thankful that you're not like them. You're thankful that you're not arrogant and prideful. You're thankful that you are concerned for the down and out, unlike all those people. Can I tell you? Be careful. Be careful. Because that's pride too. That's pride too. So we launch into the story that Jesus told. It's a short story in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, but it says that then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. 
So Jesus told this story because it says that there were some individuals who had great confidence in their own righteousness and they scorned everybody else. In other words, there were people who were puffed up by their own good works and they had a tone of outrage at other people. In other words, they were focused on their goodness and they were focused on other people's badness. They were focused on their goodness and they were focused on other people's badness. And can I... The, the reason why this such so resonates with me right now is I feel like this is the tone of our culture. This is the tone of our culture. And you can pick your issue. Vaccines, masks, uh, COVID in general, politics, immigration, the Middle East, Israel, foreign policy. I mean, you, can, <clears throat> you can pick the issue and there's these tones of, no, 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 no. Here's why I'm right and here's why you're wrong. Here's why my camp is doing the good stuff and here's why your camp is evil. This is exactly what Jesus was speaking to. This is in verse 10. He, tell, he starts his story. He says, two men went to a temple to pray. Two men went to a temple to pray. And there were two guys go to a church. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But in contrast, the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So you have these two guys, <clears throat> different positions in culture. And this is less about their career choice. This is more about public opinion and how God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the heart of each individual. That what's most important is not what people think you are. What's most important is who you actually are. And the Pharisee was respected. Man, the Pharisee was, Pharisees were not only spiritual leaders, they were political leaders. They were community leaders. They were respected in culture. The tax collector, on the other hand, was hated. The tax collector was hated. They would take Roman taxes and impose them on not only just other people, their family members, their old classmates, their old business friends. They would tax them and then take an extra amount on top, putting an undue burden, an unbelievable burden on these families. Families were put into ruin. Businesses had to close down because they couldn't carry the tax burden. And so the tax collectors were seen as traitors. So the Pharisee was respected. The tax collector was hated. So the first guy that goes up is the Pharisee and he, he prays, God, thank you that I'm not like those people. Thank you that I'm not like the sinners, the cheaters, the adulterers, and especially thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. He had what I call relative righteousness. In other words, he didn't talk about the space between him and God. He talked about the space between him and others. He's like, he's like compared to these sinners, compared to these tax collectors, I'm doing pretty good. But he never compared himself to God. 
And he starts listing off. Here's the good things I do. Here's the things I gave up for you. God, did you know I give you 10% of my income? Let me sum up the Pharisee's prayer. The Pharisee essentially came up to God and said, God, I'm awesome. Thank you that I'm awesome. Thank you that I'm way awesomer, if that's a word. Thank you that I'm awesomer than these scoundrels over there. Interesting. The other person, tax collector, comes up. He can't even look at God. The Bible says he stays at a distance. He understands the space between him and God. He understands that in light of God's holiness, he can't even be in his presence. He understands the junk in his life. And he begs God for mercy. He's focused on that space between him and God. That's the only thing he's concerned with. You notice that the tax collector never even brings up the Pharisee. He's not even concerned with the Pharisee. He's not trying to justify himself. He's not trying to say that he's better than anybody else in comparison. And listen, I'm not saying that sin isn't sin. So I'm not saying what the tax collector did in his life was right. And if he just says he's sorry, he's fine. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that pride is also sin. Some of you guys may have heard the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. And that's been a way for Christians to have this judgmental, pharisaical life. But you know what? Love the sinner, hate the sin. I think that's Pharisee talk. I think what God would say, I think what Jesus would say, is love the sinner, hate the sin in you. Love the sinner, period. Hate the sin in you. Focus on you and God, not the sin in the person next to you, not the person, not the sin of the person on the TV, but hate the sin in you. You won't find one story, one story where Jesus is encouraging his disciples to overlook their own sin, to focus on the sin of others. Actually, what Jesus would do is he would tell stories about uh, don't worry about the speck in someone else's eye until you first take out the plank in your own eye. Then you can see clearly, right? Jesus wants us to focus on the sin in our lives. Humility, humility. And then Jesus ends with this idea. I tell you, this sinner, talking about the tax collector, not the Pharisee, returned home justified, justified before God. That phrase right there is so important. Return home justified before God. Other people may not understand. Other people may not stop judging the tax collector. But one of these individuals left that church justified before God. And it wasn't the religious leader. It wasn't the community leader. It wasn't the one who did all this good stuff and was bragging to God about how great he was. The one that was justified before God was the one that recognized that in light of God is God and he was not. That there was a gap between him and God. See, for the Pharisee, the Pharisee was a center of his own universe. In his eyes, he didn't need to be rescued. But see, the tax collector knew that God was at the center. 
The tax collector understood there's a gap between them that he could never bridge. The tax collector understood that he wasn't a mistaker in need of a teacher. The tax collector understood that he was a sinner in need of a savior. So how about you? How about you? If I asked you why, if God asked you why he should let you into heaven, what would you say? Well, God, look at all the good I did. I would go to church. I even served at my church. I even gave some money. And I was a pretty nice person. I was a good person. I mean, I wasn't as bad as all those people. Think about that. If the posture that we're going to have in that moment is, look at all the good I did. I wasn't as bad as those people. That you should let me into heaven because I was good relative to other people. Who does that sound like? The one who was justified in, in Jesus' story or the one who wasn't? Or is there another approach? Can we take the approach of the tax collector that says, you know what, you shouldn't let me into heaven. You shouldn't forgive me. You shouldn't even know me except for Jesus. He rescued me. He paid my price that I can never pay. He adopted me into the family of God. You know, there's this <clears throat> idea when I was growing up, my dad was a sensei and he um, he would always talk about how in the old Japanese way of uh, moving up the chain with the belts, you wouldn't have all these colors. You know, in the American system you have you know, white, yellow, orange, purple, brown, green, I think is in there somewhere. I don't, blue, I think there's a blue belt in there somewhere. <clears throat> I don't really know them because my dad never used them. He used he used the old style, which was you got a white belt, and you, when you tied your white belt, it would get darker. And the idea was it would get darker because of all the wisdom and training that you were putting into, and that would be held by the belt, right? And it was actually just, you know, dirt. Uh, but it would get darker. And then when you've gained enough, training and understanding and you become a good practitioner, then it would become a black belt, right? But what would happen is you would get your black belt and you'd be like cocky, right? You'd be like, he's pride, prideful. That you worked hard. I mean, back in back in the day, you couldn't become a black belt unless you were at least 18 years old. So there were no like nine-year-old black belts like there are today. You could, minimum age was 18 years old. And so by the time you got a black belt, that was a really big deal. But the way black belts were made, and they're still made in many, many ways, in many places like this still today, is that when you keep training with your black belt, <clears throat> it starts to get a little tattered. And then the seams start to wear out. And then the black fabric begins to expose what's underneath. And what's underneath that black belt is actually another white belt. Ask someone that uh, is a karataka that you know that, ask them if their black belt cut it open and see if there's a white belt in there if they let you do it, right? But the whole understanding is this constant humility that when you get your black belt, you haven't arrived. You'll, you'll understand that the more you know, the more you realize that you don't know, that you always have the heart of humility. You always have the heart of a student, right? See, we can become a black belt spiritually, Spend any amount of time in church, <clears throat> right? You church attendance, check. Baptism, check. I prayer, yes, check. I do that. Bible reading, check. Tithing, check. 
Got our black belt. Check. I'm a pro. But then all of a sudden, the black starts to peel away. And we realize that there's a certain area that we're still a white belt in. And I think this could be one of those moments for us that when it comes to humility, when it comes to having the attitude of Christ, we can still be a white belt. We can understand with humility how easy it is to become, you know, Peter went on this journey too. Peter followed Jesus for three years and he had his Pharisee moment. And he said, right before Jesus uh, was executed, he said, even if all forsake you, I never will. Even if all those schmoes over there say they don't know you, I will never do that because I'm better than them. I'm more faithful than them. So Peter had his Pharisee moment, but you know what? He also had his tax collector moment. It says after he betrayed Jesus three times, at the last time was even to a middle school girl. He couldn't even say that he followed Jesus to a middle school girl. And the Bible says that he went out, in quotes, he went out and cried bitterly. He was humbled. He found out that even though he was a black belt in a lot of areas, he was one of Jesus' main followers. He was still a white belt in a lot of areas, too, that he had no reason to have pride. Maybe, maybe that's why later he would write this passage when he wrote his own epistle. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, And all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that he may exalt you in due time. All of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter never would have said that before. He needed to go through some situations where he was no longer at the center of his universe, when he realized that God was at the center, that he was just as fallible, just as broken as everybody else. And when he understood that, he understood that he needed to have this posture of humility. You know, we started out today... with Philippians 2, 3, where it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And that's where we stop, but I want to read the rest of the passage to you because I think it'll make a lot more sense as we close. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. What this is saying is, God gave up his rights. It says that he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, that he used his power to help other people. Christ gave up his rights. He didn't use his power for his own advantage. He used his power to lift other people up. And then he says that we're supposed to live the same way. If you call yourself a Christian, we need to have the same mindset. 
We're not a Christian because we go to church. We're Christians because we follow Christ. We're Christians because it's our goal, our main goal of life, to live as Christ lived, to have the same mindset. And that mindset is using our power, using our influence, not just for our own advantage, but to help others. It says to value others above ourselves. Not looking to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of others. So, here are five questions I want you to think about. Here's five questions I want you to, I want it to mess you up. And I'll put these in the show notes as well, so you can look at them there. Or they're also going to be on social media. Natalie's going to send these out to small group leaders. But here's the five questions. Number one, are you using your power, your strengths, your resources for your advantage only? Are you using your power, your strengths, and your resources for your own advantage only? Number two, how are you intentionally lifting others up? How are you intentionally lifting others up? Number three, this is a big one. I hope it bothers you. What sin in your life have you gotten comfortable with? What sin in your life have you gotten comfortable with? Then not only are you comfortable with it, not only does it not bother you anymore, you might as well, it might as well be a roommate you've gotten so comfortable with it. What sin in your life that should bother you, but instead you've gotten comfortable with it? What sin in your life have you gotten comfortable with? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a sense of apathy towards the needs of others. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe church has become a just a consumer scenario. What sin have you allowed to yourself to become comfortable with? Number four, where have you allowed judgment of others to creep into your heart? Where have you allowed judgment of others to creep into your heart? In other words, where do you focus on your goodness and focus on other people's badness? Well, if all those people that vote that way, if all those people that have this lifestyle, if they would just, I'm glad I'm not like that. Careful, who do you sound like? Where have you allowed the judgment of others to, to creep into your heart? And last one, number five, why would Jesus ask you to live with humility? Why would Jesus ask you to live with humility? I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this context. If the entire world full of Christians, if all the Christians in the world live with a sense of arrogance and pride and self-centeredness, what would that look like? Now take another multiverse where all the Christians live with humility, teachability, care and concern for others. What would that world look like? Which one would attract people to the beauty and the glory and the reality of Jesus Christ and which one would repel them like oil and water? Why would Jesus ask you to live with humility? Why would Jesus ask us to live with humility? Let me pray for you. I'm so thankful you took the time to listen to this, feeding into your spiritual life. So the most important thing is what you do with that space between you and God. Let me pray. God, I just thank you for everyone listening right now, for taking the time 
And God, I just pray, would you encourage them? Would you break them of the pride that's in all of our hearts that is trying to get all of us to put us at the center of our universe? But God, we want you to be at the center of our universe that you would be the most important thing. God, I pray we'd be a people that uses our resources, our talents, everything, our influence to help other people know you, to lift other people up. God, I pray that we'd be a church, we'd be a people that makes you smile. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if there's anything we can do as a church for you, Uh, Some of you guys, it's been fun to see you guys come back to church little by little as you feel comfortable. Uh, There's quite a few faces we haven't seen in a while, and we would love to see you. We miss you like crazy. Take it easy. We will see you uh, later.